this is a very special Hasidic discourse. It's the first Hasidic discourse that the Rebbe gave in an official capacity one year after his father-in-law's passing. So his father-in-law passed in 1950. And in 1951, one year later, on the 10th of Shvat, which is coming up in a few days, the Rebbe gave this mimer. So a little bit of the history behind it is that for about a year, the Rebbe refused to accept the leadership, the official title of Rebbe, even though he was leading in many ways. His father had already appointed him to uh, many of the Chabad, to the, the Chabad publishing, to the, um, to the outreach branch of Chabad. So he was already, um, you know, actively involved in all of these things and people were asking questions you know advice and he was giving advice so he was kind of doing all the things that a rebbe might do but he was not uh he would refuse to officially accept the title of rebbe and it was and he really put up a, a a fight against it even though all the hasidim were asking him to do it the older hasidim and the younger hasidim but he was really trying holding out he was crying at some points. I mean, it was really, you could see it was a very serious thing that he took. He took it very seriously and really felt that he didn't, you know, it wasn't a game. And um, in the end, they say it was the Rebbe's wife, Rebbe Tzimchaya Mushka, who said, will you allow my, everything that my father worked for to go to waste? In other words, you have to accept this. This is, you're the, you're the guy. You're the one. And um, you got to do it. So the Rebbe took on this this um, Rebbe hood, and part of one of the things that you do if you're a Rebbe, as opposed to just you know a, a great Rabbi, is you say a mimer. A mimer is uh, teaching of Hasidus, of Hasidic philosophy, of Hasidic teaching, and it's said in a specific tune. And there's a song before it and a song after it. It's it's. It, it's considered like you almost you're channeling the Hasidic insights. And this was the first one, 1951. After the Rebbe said this mimer, the old Hasid got up and said, Ah, Hasidim, we have a Rebbe. He said, Shechiyonu. So it was, uh, it was a big moment. Beyond that, that, the content of the mimer really sets kind of the mandate that the Rebbe set for himself and his generation for what our our uh, our mission our mission is. So I put in this in the chat the Hebrew version of this. If you want to check out the Hebrew, it's in the chat. There's the link, but I can only share one screen at a time. So I'm sharing the English, but I'll be reading from the Hebrew and and um, scrolling along on the English. So here's what how it goes. For we start from up here. My father-in-law, the rabbit. Of blessed memory writes. Okay, so my father-in-law of blessed memory, that's Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, writes in his mimer that was given out for the day that ended up being the Friedrich Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak's day of passing. So, obviously, nobody knew that he was going to pass away on that day, but there was a mimer that he had given out for that day, and ended up, that was the day of his passing. So, the Rebbe viewed that mimer of his father-in-law, the very last one that he had published on the, for the day of his passing, uh, in retrospect, as it turned out, as a, a, a uh, kind of a last will and testament. 
So here, so you see, it's basically a commentary on that mimer, and the mimer is called Bossi Legani. I have come to my garden, like that's the title of the mimer. I have come into my garden. This is God speaking, and Bossi Legani. That's how the mimer is known. Bossi Legani. I've come into my garden. So it says in the in in my my sister, my bride, speaking to the Jewish people. God refers to us as my sister, my bride. God is the groom, and we are the bride. So it says in the Medrash Rabbah, the Medrash, on that verse in, in Song of Songs, it doesn't say Ligan to a garden, but rather to my garden. Ligununi, the word for, for garden, Gan, can also be read Ligununi, uh, Ligan, I'm sorry, Ligani, right? You can read it as my garden, Ligani, or you can read it as Ligununi, which means my bridal chamber, to the place where my um, my essence was originally revealed. So this is already a huge paradigm shift of how we view the world. There's one way of viewing the world as a religious person might view the world as the enemy, the physical world as the enemy. And we're just here to get to heaven. And this world is just a place full of evil and lies and you just got to keep your head down and make sure you get to heaven without too many sins. That's one way to look at it. This mimer, this medrash, looks at it very differently and says, no, this world, this world is the place where God's essence was originally present. When God created the world, that the primary essence of the divine presence was in the physical world. Well, where else could it have been? Well, in the spiritual world. With the angels, no, it wasn't there. It was primarily in this in this world. Now I'm going to jump ahead because this first chapter of this mimer is off the charts. I don't really understand it that well. I welcome you all to try to figure it out and get back to me and see how it went, how it went for you. So for the purposes of tonight's class, I'm going to skip to the next chapter. But in, in short, and this is really from, from the previous Rebbe's Mimer, that what happened was, what the Medrash goes on and says, is that when the people of the earth began to sin, God slowly moved himself, or removed himself from this world, seven degrees to the seventh heaven, with each progressive sin. And then with Abraham began the reversal of the... Of the trend, and Abraham started bringing God back into this world through his actions, until the seventh generation lay from Abraham, which is Moshe. Moshe brings the divine presence back to where it was, back to this world, and that's what happens with the giving of the Torah. So that's what happens. Um, that's what's described in the Friedrich Rebbe's Mimer. So let's go to chapter number two. What is the? We're talking about the physical world over here. As explains there that through the sin of the eight sadas, the tree of knowledge, that Adam ate from the tree of and he ate from the tree of knowledge, the Shekhinah, the divine presence, was removed from the earth and went to the heavens. And then through the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, God returns Lagani, Lignuni, to his bridal chamber. So the primary removal of the divine presence through the sin is the Chet Eight Sadas. Dafke. It's specifically the sin of the tree of eating from the tree of knowledge, 
And just as it is in the matter of the sin, that the main sin is the sin of the eating of the tree of knowledge, or through the sin of the tree of eating of the tree of knowledge. That, why is that considered the primary sin? I mean, that doesn't seem like such a big deal. Eating of a fruit is much bigger sins, you would think. Murder, stealing, etc. But the reason why that's the primary sin is because that is the, the sin that created the possibility of other sins. So the chet eitzadas, the sin of the of eating the tree of knowledge, was the cause for the other sins of Cain, who killed his brother Cain slew Abel, of Enosh, and so so on and so forth. And the same thing. So so just as it is with the sin, so it is with the result, um, the implication of the sin, which is God removing Himself from this world and His presence from this world, and His revelation, revealed presence from this world, into um, the, the, the higher worlds into, into the heavens. So that initial removal from that first sin, that's the big one. Just as the sin is the big one, since it's the, the beginning of all others and allows for all others, so to the removal from this world that is caused by that sin, that's the big one. All the other removals from the first heaven to the second heaven and so on and so forth, going further and further away, those are just further manifestations of the initial um, removal. Jumping ahead a little bit over here. Scrolling for you guys. Okay. Then the Rebbe, meaning Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak, Rebbe's father-in-law, continues. says, Then seven Sadiqim came. Seven righteous people came. And they brought down the Shekhinah below. Abraham merited. And he brought the Shekhinah from seven, the seventh heaven to the sixth, etc. Until the seventh. Moshe, who is the seventh. And all the sevenths are precious. He brought the Shekhinah down to earth. The primary Hamshacha uh, came from Moshe, from Moses. Moshe is the one who brought the, the Shekhinah down to this world. So that's chapter 1 and chapter 2 very, very quickly. Let's get to the next chapter, which is chapter 3. So the Rebbe is now going to analyze this expression that the Friedrich Rebbe uses, kol that all the sevenths are precious. I see it doesn't get into it here, but uh, the Medrash there says that um, David, King David, for example, was the seventh son of his father, Ishai, Jesse. So all the sevenths are special. Um Tishrei is the seventh month. I just want to make sure it was, I was right. Seventh month, counting from Nisan. Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Thomas, Av, Elul, Tishrei. Tishrei is a special month. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Mastara. All the sevenths are precious. So the Rebbe analyzes this expression. So it says all the sevenths are precious. It doesn't say that all who are precious are the seventh. What's the difference? So this means that the, the 
the primary advantage is the fact that he is the seventh. Because he's the seventh, that's what makes him special. You hear that? It's a little bit deep. It's not that because he's special, he's the seventh. No, because he's the seventh, that's what makes him special. If you've heard the song, Lucky Lucky, this is uh, getting at it a little bit, right? That we are in, in a certain position, that we were chosen to be in this situation. So it's not nothing special about us, but we are in this special situation. That makes us special. So if you're the seventh, that makes you special. Not because you're special, you're the seventh, but because you're the seventh, you're special. Now, his, his preciousness, Chavivuto, is not because of anything that he chose. It's not anything that's his desire. It's not it doesn't come from his work. It's not a reward for his work. What's special about him? That he is seventh. So really, that just goes back, and he's just born into that. Moshe was born the seventh to Abraham. He didn't make himself into the seventh. And nevertheless, all sevens are precious. And that's why Moses, who is the seventh, that's why Moshe merited that the Torah would be given through him. Why? Because he was a seventh. Now, the Friedrich Rebbe, he explained, and when did he explain this? When he had initially come to America, in other words, he was it was fresh off the boat, so to speak. And so he, this is from the from Chodesh uh, Zilchem. So he came, he came to America in in Adar, the month of Adar, month of uh, of Purim, or thereabouts. And um, the next month was really Pesach time. Um, so it's around the time that you, you're reading Hachodesh, and that was the Mimer. So it was around Pesach time that he says this Mimer before Pesach. So it's like, this is a mimer that relates to his coming to America. He said that in the fact that the seventh is precious, you see the advantage, the, 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 the loftiness of the first one. The whole, whole idea of the seventh is that he's seventh to the first. And, and so, that, so what's so special about Abraham that he's the first, and he sets into motion this whole process that there's a seventh who's so precious. What's so special about Abraham? And so the, the Friedrich Rebbe explained that what's special about Abraham is his, his work, his worship of God, that he did his work, with self-sacrifice. And then the Friedrich Rebbe adds, and the Rebbe says in the parentheses here, that the Friedrich Rebbe's addition over here does not seem to be relevant to the matter at hand, but he throws it in. And what does he say? He compares the Mesidus Nefesh, the self-sacrifice that Abraham exhibited to the self-sacrifice that Rabbi Akiva exhibited. What was the difference? He said that Abraham... Sorry, friends. Now you see it? Okay, sorry about that. You feel free to interrupt next time if you if uh, if we have technical issues. Um, yeah. So what's it between Abraham and Rabbi Akiva? That Abraham was not looking for Mesiris Nefesh. Rabbi Akiva said, 
my whole life I was, see, Rabbi Kiva was in the end killed by the Romans, right? And um, he, he was smiling. And the student said to him, Rabbi Akiva, I mean, we know you're a holy man and everything, but I mean, to be smiling when you're being tortured and killed. And he said, yeah, my whole life, every time I said the Shema, I said, love you, Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul. I've been waiting for that, to give up my life for God. And now it's happening. So that sounds like a very, very high level to be at. But the Friedrich Rebbe said that actually Abraham is at a higher level because Abraham is not seeking Mesidus Nefesh, not seeking self-sacrifice. There's a little bit of self in that self-sacrifice of wanting to have the great merit or the great experience of giving one's life for God, of, to, of martyrdom. There's a little bit of self in the self-sacrifice. But Abraham's, Abraham's self-sacrifice is different. It's truly without self because he's not seeking the self-sacrifice, but he's... He is, he is, uh, he, he's ready for self-sacrifice if that is what is needed. He's here to serve. What do you need? Does it require self-sacrifice? Okay, I'm, I'm in. But he's not seeking self-sacrifice. In the words of the Rebbe, He did not seek out Mesiris Nefesh. She said, I have to be in Mesiris Nefesh. Did I be a Mesiris Nefesh. He says in Yiddish, He was looking for Mesiris Nefesh. He said, When will it come to my hands that I may fulfill it? That's from Tractate Brachot in the Talmud, page 61b. But Abraham, his Mesiris Nefesh was It was a side thing. It wasn't something he was looking for. He knew, Abraham knew, that his service is to call out and to, to, to proclaim the existence of God. That to cause other people to call out, to cry out that there is a God. And if that would require Mesidus Nefesh self-sacrifice, so he's willing to go there as well. And his self-sacrifice was so great that even Moshe, the fact that he Moshe merited, to give that the Torah will be given through him is because he is the seventh to Abraham. That's how great Abraham's service of God is that he causes that the seventh from him merits to receive the Torah. And God tells Moshe in the place of the great ones, namely Abraham, do not stand. Even though the preciousness of the being the seventh. And by the way, I should jump in over here and say that this is not the Rebbe is talking. The reason the Rebbe is talking about the seventh here is because he is the seventh Rebbe of Chabad, and the people he's talking to, they are the seventh generation of Chabad. So his father-in-law is the sixth, and he and and this is the seventh generation. So what he's basically saying is, in short, he'll say it himself, but I, I want to jump ahead a little, is that we are the seventh generation, but there's nothing special about us. We're not great. We are great though because we are the seventh. Our greatness comes from the fact that we're the seventh. That we have what we what came from what became before us. 
and we in are in just like Moshe, his what he did is brought the Shekhinah down to this world. But it was all in the merit of Abraham. It wasn't because of Moshe's great merit. Similarly, our job, the seventh generation, is to bring the Shekhinah back to the world, i.e. to bring Mashiach. And we shouldn't be too proud of ourselves that we have this job because there's nothing that we did to get the job. It's the fact that we are the seventh to, to Abraham or the seventh to the Alter Rebbe that we got, that we have this job. Um, okay, so even though even though the greatness, the preciousness of being the seventh is so great. It doesn't come. We didn't choose it. We didn't work for it. means it came to you ready, all set. Just because you were born into it, nevertheless, don't think that, whoa, this is so special. I can't. It's not for me. It's other people who are in the seventh generation. And it's only special people. No. The truth of the matter is that every single Jew, even a slave or a maidservant, can reach the level of having the divine presence of Ruach HaKodesh, of divine inspiration. And every single Jew must say, when will my actions reach and be like the actions of, of my forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So nobody should... Um, dismiss their duty by saying, "Oh, it's not for me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm exempt because I'm not that great." Because we have all these sources saying every single Jew, even if you're a maidservant, you would have to aspire to be like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Nevertheless, This is going back to the Yiddish again. Don't fool yourself. And you have to, don't get too, don't let it get to your head. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you have a big responsibility. You're lucky, lucky. And you have a big, big responsibility. You're going to do something amazing, but don't let it get to your head. Don't, just like God tells Moshe, that in the place of the great ones, Abraham, do not stand. That is the same thing he said to us. And the whole advantage of the seventh is that he is seventh to the first. That he can fulfill what the first one started and what was the first one abraham what did he start Ca calling out in the name of god and causing others to cry out in the name of god and this is the preciousness of the seventh that he will bring down the shekhinah the divine presence and the essence of the divine pre presence and furthermore not just bring it down but really bring it bring it bring it down into the physical world this is what is written there's a punchline over here Here's the punchline. This is what is being demanded from every single one of us in the seventh generation. And every seventh is precious. That even though the fact that we are the seventh generation was not something that we chose and not something that we worked to achieve. And in many aspects, it is could be even against our will. If, if you would ask us, do you want to be the seventh? You want to have this big job? We maybe would say no. Nevertheless, all the sevenths are precious anyway. Why? Because we're in the time of Ikvesed the Meshicha. We're at the end of the exile. The footsteps 
of Mashiach are here. And what is our work? What is our, our, our mandate to finish the job of bringing the Shekhinah down to this world? Not the, just the Shekhinah, but the primary Shekhinah and into the physical world. Okay, the next chapter is again somewhat mystical, as is the next one after that. So again, I invite you to try to figure that out on your own and let me know how it goes. But I'm going to jump to number six. But first, let us open it up to questions and comments on what we learned so far. Is everybody blown away and rendered speechless? But it seems like if we go back to the original part when you talked about the main sin being eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Wasn't that when we left that, we, we moved away from that. Instead of letting that divine presence run through us, we, we took over as though we were it almost. We, we could make this good and evil determination rather than relying on our own conscience given by God. Would that be another way of looking at it? That God gives us the conscience to know that, but if we take over the, the role of knowing it, that's, that's the eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's, exactly. And, and that's, the, that's the ego taking over and there it is <laughs> and then we're stuck with it <laughs> exactly that, that's how it looks like is that is that a, is yes that yes right. and then they, they get very good anybody else before we dive into chapter six carrie Vakasha. how did the friedricher rebbe become the sixth rebbe did someone like appoint him his father-in-law yeah his so father? he's his father was the rabbi before him and he was an only son so that was a kind of uh and it's and he had been involved from a very young age in fact um at one point i think when the friedrich rabbi was only 15 years old his father the rabbi rashab intimated that he could take over And he would send him on missions, you know, to speak to officials and to represent him in in rabbinical conferences at a, from a very young age. He was even arrested when he from when he was just a child, the Friedrich Rebbe, because he started up with a policeman who was harassing a Jew on the in the market, and the Friedrich Rebbe pushed him, and um, <laughs> he was put in prison. Child. It wasn't the first time he, he was put in prison. Right. Yeah. So in the, in the Rebbe's case, it was uh, two sons-in-law, and that was a little bit tricky. Um, but most of the Hasidims, the older Hasidim, the younger Hasidim, they saw there was something special about the Rebbe and really pushed for him to take on the job. And incredibly, one of the most incredible parts of the story is that his, his brother-in-law, who was older, and initially was acting as a Rebbe as well for a short while. You know, he was um, had some followers. 
his his mother-in-law and uh, his wife clearly thought that he should be the Rebbe. And so he had some following. But at some point, a few years into it, he completely devoted himself to his younger brother-in-law. And, uh, you know, he, rec- he, he felt, he recognized that the Rebbe was truly uh, the leader. And he... It's incredible, incredible story, that part of the story. I mean, he could have just moved away and, you know, done done his own thing. He stayed, and he came to every Fabrengan you know, of the Rebbe, and he sat, and he listened, and uh, listened, and followed the Rebbe's instructions on everything. It was a truly incredible story. That's a tremendous act of humility to someone who's not even his blood relative. I mean, he just saw, saw what was going on. Yeah. I think I, I don't know the story so well. Like what exactly, uh, what exactly made him the devoted chassid of of the Rebbe? But I think, from what I understand, is that he felt that the Rebbe was um, channeling their father-in-law. That the, the Rebbe was somehow in communication with the Friedrich Rebbe, although he had passed away. That he was still getting. Um, you know, is he was able to intuit the Friedrich Rebbe's uh, blessings and, and the miraculous nature of it, and uh, he, I think that that is what maybe may perhaps what brought him over, because he, you know, he was an honest person. He said, you know, he wasn't getting that, so yeah, yeah. All right, before we start the next chapter. You know, since this was billed as a Ferengen, 